people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating locations, exclusions apply. May not be combined with other offers. Offer ends 4 Nick the Motor Guy back here, AM650 KGAB. Doug Arnold with me. We got about oh, eight or so minutes of the show left. We got to fit a break in as well. Um, if you'd like to join us, 632 6500, 632 3323. 6500 for those listening out of the area on KGAB.com. So, Doug, the route. We always get, what's the route? What's the route? Yeah. Where do we meet? When do we meet? Again, um, this is loose, right? This is it's, not organized. It's not set in stone. Sometime between 6.30 and 7. Or maybe 5.30 or if you feel like it. Or even 5.30 and 7. Um, you cruise the main strip. The, the old traditional strip is up. Up Warren and down Central. So oh, between Eighth Avenue and Lincoln Way is the true traditional where the RLN used to be. The most, the most traditional, recent traditional one was that Eighth Avenue to Lincoln Way. So you drive south on Central and north on on uh, Warren, and you turn around and it's just complete the loop. Now recently, it's it's the turnaround has become Twenty Fifth Street. Right, and that's just because there's a parking oh, Pershing, lot there. Quite a lot of Pershing. Yeah, what. What we tell people is, if you if you want to go up a little farther, if you don't want to hit the congestion of 25th Street, go up to Pershing. There's a light. Then you don't have to jump out in front yep. of somebody. But you know, and if you have an older car that's just sat in traffic downtown a while and needs to cool off a bit, because I've done yeah, this, yeah, you run it, you run it nice and slowly up Warren and then back down Central around Eighth Avenue, and you yeah. get it to cool off a bit. Yeah. But here's the deal about cruising. It's it's wide open. Yeah. If you want to cruise up and down Lincoln Way, be my guest. If you want to go and hang in Lions Park, yeah. go for it. We used to add Lions Park. We year, years ago when we did it, we would go on Lincoln Way down to McDonald's. You know, because McDonald's and the fast food places when I was a, a kid or a teenager, old enough to drive, was was McDonald's around then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay. McDonald's was around then. Yeah, it was one of the very first ones. That I just, yeah, thanks, Nick. No problem, Doc. Thanks, Nick. They did have fast food in the Neanderthal area. Oh, okay, I was just wondering. <laughs> you took a minute to catch me it on did. that one. It did. It flew right past me. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, there was two or three burger places. And, yeah. and, uh, and uh, then prior years to that, it went all the way to clear on the south, Greeley Highway out to... Uh, you know, I don't remember the name of the place. I think it was uh, there was an A and W or an A and W type drive-in out there. Right. Yeah, which is pretty, kind of fallen down now. Right. But what you do have now, if you want to take a drive out there, is the Tortilla Factory. Oh yeah. And the Tortilla Factory just installed a drive-through. They did drive drive-up so, window. One of the parts that is so important to cruise nights today is the fact that these restaurants, we all know took a beating with COVID. They did. And these are local businesses. Even the franchise names, the McDonald's, right. the Village Inns, they need you to support their local They're owned owners. by local. They're loaned by it's local just people. just like me, myself, and Brooke with Midas. Mm -hmm. It's a national name. We're a local business that gives back to the local community. All these guys do. So wherever you want to go tonight, be it Tortilla Factory, 
be it um, the uh, $2 down, Samford's, any of the fast food joints, the Village Inn, and I'm going to be in trouble because I'm going to forget a restaurant, and I apologize. Um, There's the new uh, fancy drink place. um, The new fancy drink place. Beach Place. Beach Please. Beach Please, yeah. Beach Please, and and, uh, Amber down there. She's got a food truck there tonight. Yeah. No um, one's table. Yep, and... uh, you know, Daniel Marks has got a, an event going on today. Right. So please just reach out to these local businesses, support them. Please right. don't drink and drive. Please, 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 please don't drink and drive. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all unfortunately terribly familiar, I think, with what happened on Nationway just a, just a, three weeks ago, um, where a lot of lives got destroyed through some stupidity. Um, don't drink and drive. Yeah, it's just you it, just we got to be smart. Be you smart. Do do what's right. Let's keep this cruise night thing going. Yeah. You know, Ron hit it on the head. You know, we want it, we don't want to lose it because somebody did something stupid. Yeah. And and you know, I think the majority of the people that cruise on cruise nights, the vast majority want the same thing. They do. And it, the people out there, our Cheyenne Police Department, yeah, is completely in favor of cruise nights. They are. But they are not going to put up with you being a moron. And if you're a moron, knucklehead, whatever you want to call it, you're going to get a ticket. If you do something really dumb, you could end up seeing the inside of the sheriff's department. Don't go there. Come on, guys. Please, please, please be sensible. I realize I am lecturing to probably the entirety of people that are just down there to have fun and not do something silly. Right. But if you see somebody doing something dumb, Take their license plate, get it to Duggarai. We will get or get it to the the traffic uh, policeman on duty. Yeah. These guys are there to keep us safe, keep it orderly, and keep it happening for many many years to come. Yeah, Debbie can even if you see Debbie, you know, just give her, just give it to her. She'll she can get it to us too. The wonderful Debbie Martinez, who will be doing, she will be there photography tonight. tonight for, she said she'll be down there about six forty-five. Yeah. So if you see a real pretty lady with a huge smile and a camera, wave at her because she loves it when you wave. Yeah. She's going to post your picture on on uh, Cruise Nights uh, Facebook page. Excellent. All right, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be back to finish up the show here on AM650, KGAB. You're listening to Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne, a town square media station. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address, all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And 
Nick and Doug back here on AM650 KGAB Cogab. Couple of minutes left. Remember tonight, April 17th. 2021, the first night of cruise nights, my 29th anniversary in the country, which uh, I've, I'll admit it's an important day to me. I know that my uh, Brooke always looks and goes, Why is this so important? I said, Well, because my life literally changed overnight. Um, but anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you for being involved. Thanks for the new calls today. Um, Jody, thanks for calling in. I think your idea of having some um, ladies join us on the show please have them reach out to me. You can reach out to me a couple of ways and probably the easiest now because it separates everything out is going to be on the Cruise Nights Gmail. It is Cheyenne Cruise Nights, Cheyenne Cruise Nights, all one word, at gmail.com. That will come to myself and a couple of others, um, but I will I will answer you. I tend not to look at it every day but i look at that email every couple of days and i will answer you i'd love if anybody out there has an idea for a show let me know i've been doing this for 14 years sometimes i struggle with what to talk about and i know a lot of you who uh, know me think that's amazing and i would ever struggle talking but just to keep it fresh if you've got an idea if you'd like to be on the show get a hold of me i'd love to have you on up next is going to be Doug with the uh, Talk of Cheyenne, and uh, I'm sure he's got some great guests coming in. The other he's, an he's another guy who uh, knows how to talk occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> he's also the great news guy here at the KGAV studios. So we're done. We'll see you at cruise nights. Remember, there are two really important numbers tonight. 850, as in boxes of cookies. That's the beginning of the night. The other number is zero. That's the number we need to be at by the end of the night. Let's support the Girl Scouts. They got 850 bucks of cookies to go. And we're going to sell them all tonight. Everybody, take care. Be good. And we'll speak to you next week on Car Gap. Bye-bye. The service was simple and somber. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News. Britain's Prince Philip has been laid to rest at Windsor Castle following a nationwide minute of silence in memory of his service to the country and to the crown. With only 30 mourners present in line with England's coronavirus restrictions, members of Britain's royal family gathered at Windsor Castle for Prince Philip's funeral. The Dean of Windsor, leading the service, spoke of Philip's kindness, humour and humanity. With grateful hearts, we remember the many ways in which his long life has been a blessing to us. The congregation wore masks and maintained physical distancing. The Queen sat alone. Fox's Simon Owen. Fires were set in Portland, Oregon overnight and the downtown area was vandalized. Protests erupted after police shot and killed a man while responding to reports of a person with a gun. In Oakland, California, multiple fires were set, numerous windows were shattered and several cars were damaged during protests against police brutality last night. Authorities say bottles and other objects were thrown at police. Protesters were also out in Chicago where a 13-year-old boy was gunned down by police 
John Catanzara, the president of the city's police union, says the officer had a split second to react after chasing Adam Toledo down a dark alley. While speaking to Fox's Sean Hannity, Catanzara also mentioned the boy's gang affiliation. I've seen this many, many times where parents are just at wit's ends with kids who are being led astray and they don't know what to do with them, especially at that age where they're so impressionable. The officer, who also serves in the Marine Corps, has been placed on administrative leave. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey, this is Trey Gowdy, host of the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Every Tuesday, you'll hear what's on my mind. Plus, every Thursday, there's a special bonus episode where we answer the questions that are on your mind. Make sure to spend your Tuesdays and Thursdays with Trey. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Hope to see you. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, it's the Fox News Rundown. Start your day with a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. A daily morning podcast going far beyond the headlines. Tapping into the massive reporting resources of Fox News to provide a full picture of the news of the day. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Jessica Tarlov. I'm Chris Wallace, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Iran now believes one of its citizens was behind last weekend's explosion at a nuclear facility. State TV named the suspect and showed his passport picture. The regime says he fled the country. The White House is heading back to the drawing board after allies of the president blasted his plan to keep the cap on refugees right where it is. An emergency declaration by President Biden clears the way for refugees from areas previously banned to resettle in the United States. But the president did not raise the cap of 15,000 refugees resettled a year that was set by former President Trump. That's enough a cascade of criticism from top Democrats. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki then put out a statement saying a decimated refugee admissions program inherited by the Biden administration makes it unlikely the president will raise the cap as high as once proposed, but insist a final determination with an increased refugee cap will be set by May 15th. Jared Halpern, Fox News. Three million people around the world have died of COVID-19. That staggering number, which continues to get bigger, was released by Johns Hopkins University. The true number of fatalities, they say, may never be known. That is due to China officially concealing the number of cases and resulting deaths from the coronavirus after it first surfaced in Wuhan, China in late 2019. Here in the U.S., over 31 million have contracted COVID. Over 565,000 have died from it. Fox's Karen McHugh. Masks and social distancing could stick around in Oregon for a while. While many states are relaxing restrictions, Oregon is considering extending them indefinitely. Opponents from parents to teachers to business owners are upset since government officials won't say just how low numbers have to get before restrictions are out. Fox News. Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Bob Ruart Motors. The easiest purchase you'll ever make. All roads lead to BobRuartMotors.com. 
Staying chilly this Saturday as temps just in the 30s and near 40 degrees. Some mid and high level cloudiness, breezy northwest winds, low 20s overnight. Sunshine and milder for your Sunday. High temperatures near 50 degrees. Another cold front, though, moves in Sunday night. Monday's highs back to near 30. Light snow, small accumulations. I'm meteorologist Mark Hewer. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have economist and author Sven Larson. Good morning, Sven. Good morning. Nice to be with you. So we had a couple different topics to hit this morning. Um, I I know, first of all, you wanted to talk about the uh, 2022 Wyoming congressional race. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a tie to be made between that election and the legislative session we just saw. Um, uh, and if, if you would, um, if I could start there, the, I think the, the legislative session we just had, um, uh, it was, in all honesty, it was a big dud. Uh, once again, the legislative session ended with us not moving anywhere on any decisive issue that has to do with uh, the fiscal situation of the state and the economy. Uh, This puts our state in a very dire situation that has a direct tie to the 2022 election. Let me me outline why. Um, The federal government, everybody knows this, the federal government is completely out of control when it comes to spending. Uh, They're borrowing money uh, 2.7 trillion dollars last year alone from the federal reserve just from the federal reserve we have an out of control deficit this is putting our federal government on a straight track to a major fiscal crisis and i think it is going to strike long before the 2022 election when that strikes states are going to be hit very hard because the federal government is going to cut money for the states. Our state is totally unprepared for this. We depend critically on the federal government for our Medicaid program. We're taking money for our schools, transportation, other programs. This money is going to be cut and cut severely in a fiscal crisis, and our state has done nothing to prepare for this. What we need to do going into the 2022 election is that we need to elect a Congress that is willing to lead when it comes to the um, the fiscal crisis, who's willing to actually make that their top priority, and that is going to that means that the the election next year is going to be one about the deficit, about creating a fiscally sustainable federal government, and by extension a fiscally sustainable state government. Do you have a particular candidate that you're in favor of at this point? I I don't, but I will say this. Now, let me say this about Liz Cheney first. She is she is a strong leader on national security. She's done a great lot of good for our military. 
she is an unwavering uh, supporter of our armed forces about, uh, and she will stand up to defend America on any day. The problem is, I don't think she has what it takes to lead uh, the fight for a fiscally sustainable government. I don't think she has the the skills, the the um, dedication, and quite frankly, the 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 guts to do that. We need somebody in Congress. We need to elect a Congress send people to Congress who have the same leadership passion for a fiscally sustainable government as Liz Cheney has on national security. And because, I mean, you could even tie those together. If we do not save our, uh, if we do not create a fiscally sustainable government, if we do not deal with this fiscal crisis, we're not going to be able to pay for our military in the future. We're not going to be able to pay for any part of government. Sven, as, as you know, two legislators have declared for that race, Senator Anthony Bouchard from here in Laramie County, Representative Chuck Gray of Natrona County. They both said they're running. Do you have any thoughts on those candidates? I don't want to comment on the individual candidates. I, I, that's, not really, uh, that's not really my job, quite frankly. I'm an economist. I, I look at the economy. Uh, I hope that um, whoever emerges to challenge Liz Cheney will be a strong stern fiscal conservative who is willing to to be bold i mean let, let me let me take an example of what i'm talking about here senator cynthia lummis has proposed a commission uh, like the um Bowles simpson to to find a way to balance the federal uh, budget in 10 years uh now that is that is a I'm glad that she's proposing this because it brings the issue to the forefront, the, 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 the fiscal problems of the federal government to the forefront. But it is too much conventional thinking. I fear that it is going to be just another um, uh, another serving of mashed potatoes. We need something completely new, completely radical. Whoever emerges to challenge Liz Cheney has to be someone who will be bold on these issues. Doug, we are facing a situation now where anything, any money coming out of any program that the federal government pays for on a regular basis, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, transportation, education, defense, any, all of those programs are in grave danger when we go into fiscal crisis. We need somebody who can think out of the box, who can come up with bold ideas and say, listen, what we've done so far hasn't worked. Simpson Bowles didn't work. The Congress has proposed in the past 40 years, I think 14 different legislative initiatives uh, uh, to balance the budget. They, of course, haven't succeeded. We need people in Congress who are willing to say, let's do something totally new here. Now, when you're talking about a financial crisis, um, are you talking about rampant inflation? Are you talking about a Great Recession, Great Depression scenario? What exactly do you foresee happening here? What I see, inflation is a real possibility. Uh, We have printed so much money that I would be surprised if we do not see inflation in the double digits next year. I would actually be surprised if we didn't. The, the situ- we have, this is a completely unprecedented situation. Um, so inflation is definitely coming. A fiscal crisis means that 
um, interest rates start rising because investors on the sovereign debt market, people who buy treasuries, lose confidence in the federal government. And they will then sell off their debt. The Federal Reserve cannot buy it because they print more money. They exacerbate the problem. So the federal, the, 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 the U.S. government, the Treasury, cannot borrow money anymore. The only way to restore confidence, this is what has happened in other, other countries. Uh, 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 there are plenty of examples of it. The only way that the Congress then can, can, can move forward is to radically, drastically, and immediately under panic spending. And I'm not talking about reducing spending. You know that the way Congress thinks about a spending cut is you don't increase spending fast enough. No, no, no. I'm talking real cuts. We could see 10, 15, 20% cuts in some programs. Imagine Wyoming losing 15% of its Medicaid money. That would be a disaster. These things are a real possibility. Another real possibility is if they go into this panic is that they will drastically, rapidly, and immediately raise taxes. To, to stop interest rates. Interest rates, we could see interest rates running running 10, 12, 20%. In the Greek crisis, we saw 25% interest rates. People say, well, happening in Greece can't happen here. Yes, it can, trust me. Every fiscal crisis out there has the same anatomy. It will happen here, too. So so, Sven, it looks, like we, it looks like we have a caller here. Caller, go ahead. Yeah, well, as I'd like to address your... Uh, uh, guests' concerns about spending in the economy. Well, you know, I think we ought to do what our previous, uh, our real president did, which is cut foreign aid. I mean, the, the foreign aid that they dispense to all around the world, all these people want to come and show up on our borders, yet we've spent trillions of dollars. Well, it goes to the State Department, who gives it to the non-governmental organization, who gives all the the leaders, uh, those so-called dictators of those nations, their little cut, which goes to a Swiss bank account, which goes back to the uh, campaign contributions. And how about let's get rid of things like the Department of Education? Yeah. And I, I, you know what? I think Trump had it right with putting tariffs on these companies that move their uh, their uh, manufacturing to countries with slave labor and then turn around and sell their product at union-scale prices on our shores. How about let's do that instead? Sven, any comment on that? Well, I think the, the caller uh, doesn't have the numbers right on foreign aid. I, I, um, really? We could, no, it's not, we're not talking trillions of dollars that into <laughs> That that is that is that is not that is not correct. Um, I, I, I as for the Department of Education, um, that is, that is an interesting idea of uh, eliminating certain major programs at the federal level. Uh, it is a concept. As a concept, I think these are the things we have to start thinking about. Radical ideas that will permanently change the role of government in our economy. Basically, the question that the, the, our next representative to Congress has to ask and answer is, when is government big enough? What does it mean when we reach that point and what do we have to do to turn around if government is already too big? So uh, to take that idea, eliminating the Federal Department of Education, I mean, it, it, as a concept, 
as something worth discussing from a fiscal viewpoint, it's not a bad idea. I'm not saying we should do it, but I'd say this is the kind of radical thinking that we need. Um, when it comes to, let me tie that back to Wyoming. Wyoming needs to, we need, as a state, need to ask ourselves, how can we become fiscally independent of the federal government? How can we run our state without being dependent on Congress sending us all this money? Are there things we can do here? Because when the fiscal crisis hits, we are going to take a big, fat blow to the belly as a state, and we cannot afford that. Sven, as you know, and I would, I would assume this maybe was something you liked about the session, at least they didn't approve any new taxes to speak of. That's correct, I, and, and I appreciate that part, um, because th- that is also something we cannot afford, either at the state or the federal level. I was, I was happy to see that, but I'm, I'm frustrated by how the no to taxes is never, never accompanied by a yes to certain important spending reforms. The, I, this is something that I've been uh, uh, I've been banging my head against the legislature about this for for several years. Um, you can it's fine to say no to raising taxes, but the question you get back is: so how do you want to pay for this big government we have? Well, then the the the, the people who oppose taxes rarely take the next step and say, "I'm willing to propose these reforms. I'm willing to talk about." Um, uh, school vouchers, vouchers in Medicaid, and these are, these are things we can scale up to the federal level. People like Cynthia Lummis, like whoever is going to represent us in the House going forward, they could do the same thing there and say, we do not want higher taxes. Here is a package of bold spending reforms that we need. And and, and if, we can, if we can do that both at the state and the federal level at the same time, that would be very good. In fact, it's necessary. Sven, maybe the best example of what you're talking about is education funding. We're still operating at a $300 million a year deficit. They couldn't agree on a plan. They basically did nothing about this. How serious is that situation? Oh, of course it's serious. But one part of that problem is that we, we have uh, the largest education bureaucracy in the country. No other state has more non-instructional staff to, as a ratio to instructional staff. We, bluntly, we have more bureaucrats per teacher than any other state in our school system. The, the only way to deal with that is to introduce a school choice program. Take the education savings accounts out of Arizona, take the vouchers out of Wisconsin, whichever model works, put that to work here. Get Let teachers, um, parents, entrepreneurs, set up a school, school choice system that they can then uh, um, uh, operate with. It's one idea. I know there are people who are homeschoolers who are very skeptical of this. I respect that. I totally respect their skepticism. But let's get everybody to the table and talk about how we can do that. You, in fact, if you do a good school choice um, um, uh, reform, you can do away with that deficit pretty easily because the costs will come down when schools operate more leniently. Uh, when you have private schools who have fewer bureaucrats per teacher, so you reduce the cost that way. Sven, are you familiar with the uh, the school system in Natrona County District 1? Not in detail. The, re- the reason I bring it up, and I'm not 
down to the nuts and bolts on it either. But my understanding is they have a lot more school choice uh, than most of the other districts. Uh, that they do actually allow, and I had uh, had uh, Jillian Balow on last week. We discussed this. They actually do allow the parents to choose certain schools, with the understanding uh, the district, I guess, up there is a little more amenable to busing the kids around to make uh, make that workable. Is is that something along the lines of what you're talking about? Doesn't go far enough, or do we not know enough about that to comment? Well, what what I would say. Uh, uh he, here, here's here's the problem with yes, of course it's a model we should we should bring to the table and discuss it. What we need to do is we need to be careful to distinguish with, between charter schools and private schools. Mm-hmm. Some reforms only concentrate on charter schools, which are public schools. Uh, others go further and say let's open up for private schools as well. Um, it, it is important to keep in mind that so long as we only have public schools, the cost reduction factor is not part of the system. We do not get the pressure to do that. Um, If we had a national school choice system where the federal money going into schools uh, were backpacked with students, I think that would be a big incentive. Um, If we have the same thing, I mean, let me me step out of education for a moment. Uh, If we did the same thing with Medicaid, Wyoming could in fact become an experimental, uh, uh, an experimental ground. We could have a congressional delegation that led us on this and said, hey, let's turn our state into um, uh, an experiment for how we can reform federally sponsored programs, Medicaid, education, etc., so that we can see what models can work. That would give our state, our legislators, an incentive to sit down and say, okay, we now have the opportunity to consider things we have never considered before. Let's do that and let's experiment. Sven, as as I'm sure you know, Governor Gordon in some of his speeches has basically said we can't cut our way out of our current financial situation. Is he right or can we cut our way out of it? He's wrong. Of course, of course we can cut. But the, the thing is, if you expect, what you have to do is you have to transition government out of its promises. Government promises more than it can keep. A fiscally sustainable government only promises what it can keep. That's what we have to do. We have to do reforms where we reform away government pr- uh, promises. And we open up for the private sector to step in and provide where government today has a virtual or actual monopoly. So if you're going to keep the promises, if you want government to do everything it's doing now, yes, then Gordon is right. But he is wrong in the sense that we cannot reform government and scale down the promises and let the private sector thrive instead. Sven, is the Wyoming Business Council something that the state should be involved in? Oh, that, that is, a, honestly... I, I I don't know. I, I don't want to comment on that that particular issue. It's a it's a contentious one. I don't think it's very much of an economically important uh, issue. It's it's one of those things where where people tend to come down on one side or the other depending on their own personal interests. I I. I would stay out of that. Okay. Now, another uh, another issue that came up this session, and although it didn't get through, it's something that it sounds like they're going to revisit. Um, tolling for Interstate 80. What are your thoughts on that? I've been an advocate of that for almost 10 years now. I know there are a lot of people who don't like it, and I respect the criticism. Here's the problem. If we are going to be able to maintain funding for our roads, 
we need to revamp the system for how we do that. Because otherwise, we're just going to jack up the taxes. There was a fuel tax being considered again here. It died. It never made it to Committee of the Whole, if I remember it right. Uh, but uh, a toll on the I-80 is good, provided that I-80 is taken out of the budget entirely, run solely on the tolls collected, and that there is no way to siphon money off from that into the rest of the, the, the uh, wide-up budget. And then we revamp the funding of the rest of the highway system. We do not rely on the, on, on the fuel tax. Instead, we fund it through the tax on your car tag so that everybody pays for it. And kind of like, think of it like funding police. Some people don't, don't rely on the police very much. Uh, some people, or the fire department. Some people never have to call them because they never have a fire at their house. But the service is available. Think of the highways the same way. We're paying a fixed fee for um, uh, fire and rescue and for law enforcement. Let's think of the, the highways outside of the I-80 the same way. You pay a fixed fee, the, the highway system is available for you. It's not an ideal solution, but it's a better one than relying on the, on the fuel tax, and it allows us to put a toll on the I-80. How about it's the rational yeah. How, how about the road user charge that was proposed? Didn't get far, but it, it was something that was discussed and may come back. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's a very dangerous uh, road to go down because you need to put a transponder in every car. Mm -hmm. and the government is going to track every mile you drive. And if you think that that is not going to be hackable, uh, think about what uh, hackers have done to the federal government so far. Um, I, I, it, it's a completely... Uh, it's completely the wrong way to go. And I'm, uh, 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 the, the, the proposal that I put forward instead to use the, the, the license plate fee uh, as a basis to fund highways is anonymous in that respect. Nobody can track where you go and when you go, uh, how much. Um, so, so uh, no, I, I, I don't like that idea. Sven, what would you have liked to have seen the legislature do that they didn't do? I would like to see them do two things. First of all, I would like to see them put together, you know how they had a, this study group about how to get more revenue? Right. Why don't you put together a group to study how we can structurally and permanently reduce government in our state? And then I would see, the other thing I would like to see is the legislature take, sit down with a congressional delegation and said, listen, we need you to work on making our state help us make our state independent of the federal government to shield us from the coming fiscal crisis and then send them back to Washington and with a clear mandate and say, strengthen the state, give us back our fiscal independence, help, help us do that. The commission in state and the mandate to make our, in, us independent of the federal government, that would do a whole lot to protect us uh, from uh, a coming fiscal meltdown. It would help us restore Wyoming to, to actually put us on a on, on a path back to prosperity. Sven, this is a, this is a little bit outside of what we discussed for the program, but I'm curious if this fiscal crisis is coming. What should we as individuals do to be prepared for it? What you have to the first thing you have to do is you have to to uh, be able to live with inflation that could go well into the double digits. I mean, we had 10 to 14% inflation 40 years ago. It could get higher than that. And I'm saying, I've done the numbers on this. I've spent months now crunching the numbers. I published 
an economic newsletter at my website, libertybullhorn.blog, where I present these these findings. So the first thing you have to do is consider what would you do if prices on food and other essentials went up by 10, 15, 20% a year? How would you prepare for that? The second thing people uh, uh, should do is get involved and make sure that every person, every elected official we have is aware of this acute fiscal risk for a fiscal crisis, this coming fiscal crisis, and that you demand that they stop resorting to conventional wisdom. So we need to do we need to do something personally, and then we all need to get involved. This is a problem we all need to solve together. Sven, is now a good time for people to borrow money because the money's going to be inflated and you'll actually be paying back less? Uh, no, because interest rate, the first thing that happens when you go into a fiscal crisis is interest rates rise through the roof. Uh, that is that is actually the trigger point. We've already seen that happening in in lo- the the long term interest rates on uh, federal government debt. Look at the ten, twenty, and thirty year bonds. They're, they've been rising. They stopped rising here recently because the Federal Reserve apparently, as I understand it, went in and started uh, um, uh, start doing printing more money to 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 make sure the interest rate increases did not continue but we see an upward pressure already on interest rates because investors are losing confidence in the federal government so do not do not take on uh, uh, um, be very very judicious about the debt you take on because if interest rates start going up uh, they too could reach deep into the double digits and that would be crippling for for almost anybody Sven, unfortunately, we're about out of time. I think we probably could have easily done an hour this morning, but uh, we are about out of time. I'd like to thank you for your call, and uh, hopefully we can chat again in the near future. This sounds like a very serious situation. I think people need to stay on top of it. Thank you very much. I'll be happy to be back on. Thanks, Sven. Thank you. AM 650 KGAB, that's Sven Larson, economist and author, talking about our state economy and perhaps uh, some upcoming national fiscal, actually a crisis, he said. So we'll, see, we'll be watching that. AM KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. Thank you for joining us. Do you know where your coffee comes from? How about right here in Cheyenne? Buy locally roasted organic coffee from Cheyenne's award-winning hometown coffee roaster, Snowy Elk Coffee. Snowy Elk Coffee offers single-serve steep coffee packets, 12-ounce bags, and five-pound bags for the office or serious coffee lover. Snowy Elk Coffee makes it easy with online ordering, free local delivery, and monthly subscription service. No. 345-2789-800-345-2789. Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Bob Ruart Motors. The easiest purchase you'll ever make. All roads lead to BobRuartMotors.com. Staying chilly this Saturday as temps just in the 30s and near 40 degrees. Some mid and high level cloudiness, breezy northwest winds, low 20s overnight. Sunshine and milder for your Sunday. High temperatures near 50 degrees. Another cold front, though, moves in Sunday night. Monday's highs back to near 30. Light snow, small accumulations. I'm meteorologist Mark Huer. I am a veteran. I lost both lakes in Vietnam. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. My victory was getting my benefits and a good education. DAV helps veterans of every generation get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran. I didn't want to admit it, but I have PTSD. So veterans can reach victories great and small. My victory was finding help 
and learning that I wasn't alone. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. On the phone, I have uh, Raya O'Neill of the Donors Alliance. Raya, I think I got your name right, did I? You sure did, Doug. Okay, well, thank you for calling in. You're with the Donors Alliance, the, the uh, National Donors Alliance. And, and the reason we're having you on this morning is because, uh, well, April is National, uh, National Donate Life Month. What, what is that exactly? So Donate Life Month is a national observance uh, where we celebrate organ, eye, and tissue donation and the transplantation that occurs from that donation that saves and heals lives. And so April is just a really great way to celebrate, to get the word out, to come together and just appreciate the gift of life made possible with donations. Why is it so important for people to be organ donors? It's really important for people to make that decision, Doug. I'm glad you you asked about that. People need to talk about this with their family. Um, in Wyoming, we make that decision when we get our driver's license. So we all have that in common. We all go get one. We all get a state or a state ID. And at that time, we are asked if we want to sign up on the registry to be an organ eye and tissue donor. And so we really encourage people, you have the power to give the gift of life. And it really can affect and change and save, quite frankly, the lives of those that are in need. And so we encourage people to, to talk about that decision with their loved ones and their family members. Make sure our loved ones know what we want, what our decision is. And then say yes every time you renew or get your driver's license in Wyoming. And about 62% of the people in this state have done that. How does that compare with most other states? Is that pretty average? Are we above average, below average? Well, of course we're above average. We are definitely an awesome giving community here in Wyoming. Uh, we were actually, in 2019, we came in at third in the nation for the highest donor designation rate, the number of people that say yes. That's our donor designation rate. And that really, to me, uh, growing up here in this state, it's a testimony and it's a testament to the, the way we take care of each other. We believe in helping our neighbors when they're in need and, and helping our community. And so to me, that number, that's just proof of how awesome Wyomingites are. Raya, if somebody's, you know, a little bit older, let's say you're in your 70s, are you too old to donate? Absolutely not. Nope. We really encourage people, you're never too old and you're never too sick. That's actually the most common reason uh, that we hear when we travel the state, uh, why people may be hesitant to say yes, because they feel like they are too old or too sick. And in reality, you're not. No one is too old and no one is too sick. In fact, we have had donors in Wyoming well above 80 years of age be able to donate tissue, cornea, and help another individual with that donation. Just a side note, I happened to be watching uh, my sports television the other day. Pat Summerall was uh, talking, and, and he's now since passed away, but on the show he was talking about how somebody donated a liver that saved his life. The, the young man, as it happened, was 10 years old. Uh, he went and saw the family and thanked them. It, it, it was pretty moving, but I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, this is not an anonymous process. These are real people you're helping. Absolutely. Yep, we do have many stories across the whole state of Wyoming of 
people that, you know, are donor family members and they lost a loved one. And, and through the process, it helped them in their grief. It helped them knowing that even though their loved one passed on, they were able to give to someone else. They were able to save and heal lives. And that, that really from our donor families, they've told us how much comfort that has brought them, knowing that it's a real person that they helped and they know their loved one would have wanted to help someone else if they could. And so it makes it very uh, real to us, very at home. It's our, it's our very neighbors and our community members that are helped and affected when we say yes to donation. Okay, I'm speaking with Raya O'Neill of the Donors Alliance. By the way, if you have any questions or comments, we do have an open phone line at 632-3323. Raya, um, how can I phrase this? Um, Are there religious objections to donating organs? That is another myth, Doug. Thank you so much for for asking that. That's another question we get and another myth that exists out there. And and again, we really encourage people, uh, go to DonateLifeWyoming.org if you ever have questions. Again, DonateLifeWyoming.org. All of these facts that I'm sharing with you today are available on the, the website, and people can learn about donation. As far as religion goes, the major religions in the United States support organ, eye, and tissue donation. Most of those religions feel like it's a final act of giving, an act of love and charity that you can bestow on another human being. And so it's really, it's an amazing blessing when we have those families that feel like, you know, not only is it supported by their faith, but it's something in their heart that they, that they feel, you know, inclined to say yes so that they can help another human being. Let me ask you a hypothetical question from my own perspective, because I've had, I've had cataract surgery on both eyes. I see great, but could I still be an eye donor or not? You can't. Yeah, the actual uh, part of the eye that is donated is called the cornea. And so um, with that cornea donation, you know, science has changed. Just in the few years that I've been working with Donor Alliance, going on about four now, we've seen some great advancements in the science surrounding donation. Um, And with cornea, for example, depending on uh, the thickness of that lens that covers the front of the eye, that's the cornea, uh, they've even been able with science, if it's a thicker cornea, sometimes they can split that Hmm. and then help more people with that donation. So. You know, we always encourage people, even if you feel like you have something, like in in your case, a cataract surgery, science changes so much. By the time you pass, science may have come up with something or advanced to the point where whatever the condition may be, whatever your concern is, it might be taken care of. And so don't rule yourself out. Looks like medical professionals make that decision at the time of your death. Looks like we have a caller. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning. Um, I, I was heartened to hear that uh, you can be older than 60. Um, uh, we were never able to have children, and we thought this would be a helpful legacy, you know, after we're gone. And so thanks for mentioning that. And also, what's the website? <laughs> and I'll take my answer off the air. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing uh, that with me. That's really important um that legacy it is really important for people for donor families to to know that that legacy lives on um so the website is donate life wyoming.org 
and there are a couple different areas on the website you can click through and read the material but it's really quick and easy to understand the facts about donuts Keep it local, Cheyenne. Stop in today for best selection or visit terrellhonda.com. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Raya O'Neill with the Donors Alliance. Uh, Raya, I am going over the uh, Donor Alliance, actually, correct name. I am going over the information you sent me. Now, there is a, there is a caveat here for people who have COVID-19 right now. Is that right? Yes, we've obviously we're all facing that pandemic right now. Um, with COVID nineteen, it's been a really great question that has come up, and you know people are wondering what happens to my donation decision if I currently have COVID nineteen. So if someone currently is in, uh, they have the acute phase of the disease. They currently have COVID nineteen. It is a rule out if they pass away in that moment, they would be unable, because of it being so contagious, they would be unable to donate. However, if someone had it and recovered from it, and several months down the road they were to pass, they are eligible at that time to be a donor. So again, we just really encourage people, don't rule yourself out, no matter what condition you're worried about, even this crazy pandemic that we've you know, been dealing with across the nation and the world. Um, just say yes. Put yourself on that donor registry. Believe in helping others. Great reason to be a donor. And then let those medical professionals make that decision at the time of your death. Maybe a slightly outside-the-box question here, and I realize you're not a medical doctor, so if you don't know the answer, that's certainly understandable. But have COVID-19 victims benefited from organ donations? There have been some recent stories um, in the media that we have you know, seen and heard of from our partners, our other organ procurement organization partners around the nation um, that they've shared with us where sometimes the COVID patient has recovered from COVID and uh, their lungs have been damaged to the point where they needed a transplant. We have seen some cases where they have been able to get that transplant and they have benefited from that donation decision. So you just never know who you're going to help for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and the interesting thing is that, you know, it doesn't just affect adults. It doesn't just affect one area or one demographic of people. You know, people on the waiting list in Wyoming and in our region, children, older people, middle-aged people, men, women, doesn't matter. We have people of all ages and um, all genders on that list waiting for help. Ryan, how many lives can be saved from one donor? How many people can you help if you sign up to donate? Well, just one donor has the potential to save eight other people through organ donation. There are eight solid organs that can be donated. And then through tissue and cornea donation, one person can help more than 75 others. Wow. I really challenge people. Wyoming, we're small. We don't have a huge population, right? We're a small state. But if you think that just one of us can affect and save and heal more than 75 others, it's such a powerful thing that we can do as an individual. And again, I'm going over the information you gave me. I, I didn't know some of this. Of course, I think most of us know that you can do a heart tra- transplant, a liver transplant, kidney transplant, that sort of thing. I did not know that people could do bone pr- uh, transplants, skin transplants, tendons, heart valves, 
and veins. Now, you did mention corneas, so I was aware of that, but uh, actually they can use most of your body then. That's right, yeah, and tissue, go ahead, sorry. No, go, go ahead. I was going to say tissue donation is really miraculous, and it is one thing that a lot of people, it's not a common knowledge. Like you mentioned, we are more familiar with someone getting a heart transplant, for example, or a kidney transplant, but tissue donation is just as healing and just as, you know, it allows people to return to work. It allows people to return to their to the life they lived and doing the things they loved and being those, you know, contributing positive members of their community. And that's what's so phenomenal about it. Simple things like dental, dental surgery. Sometimes you may need a bone implant and that implant may come from a deceased donor. Um, ACL repair, sports injuries are really common. People need an ACL repair and oftentimes they use donated tissue to do that repair. So really common surgeries that we wouldn't normally think about are able to happen and those people heal and return to their lives because someone said yes to donation. I just learned so. Visit indeed.com slash credit and get a $75 credit for your first sponsored job post. Terms and conditions apply. Dad, this is fun. I didn't think I liked kayaking. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I think it's time to head back in. Okay. Can we come back? Sure. Hey, be careful getting out of the boat. It's a kayak, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to return the kayak. Can we walk home? How about a taxi? It's a short fare from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. I'm speaking with uh, Raya O'Neill with the uh, Donor Alliance because... April is, and let me refer to my notes here, Donate for Life Month. So it's a special uh, special emphasis on organ donations. Ryan, I just renewed my driver's license last year. Let's say I want to sign up to be a donor and I didn't do it then. Do I have to wait for another three years? You don't. Nope. You can go to donatelifewyoming.org and you can sign up anytime, 24 hours a day online. You can register your decision to be an organized tissue donor. Are there any misconceptions about organ donation you'd like to clear up? Are there some funny ideas people have or some uh, wrong ideas? Um, sometimes people worry there's, there's a myth we hear in Wyoming about uh, medical professionals maybe not trying to save your life and rather trying to procure organs. And we do hear that sometimes in some communities. And the interesting thing for people they might be interested to learn is that the individuals, your, you know, neighbors who are doctors and nurses, those healthcare heroes are the people that are going to be saving your life, and they're not involved in the donation process. Once someone has been uh, declared that they have passed on, that they are dead, that's when Donor Alliance then comes in, and we are the organ procurement organization for our region, and we facilitate that dynamic process of donation. So those individuals that are on your ambulance and coming to your house when you call 911 and, and you know reporting to you on the interstate when you have had, had an accident, those are your local community members. And you know, I think we've all gained a, an appreciation for them through this pandemic and all that they do to try to save our lives. And so that right there just shows me that 
they're not involved in the donation process in that way. And so they will do everything they can in their power to save your life. And if for some reason they're unable to save you and you are a donor, that's when we would step in and we would try to honor your decision and facilitate that gift of life. Now, and I'm just going from what I've seen on TV here, and I know that's not always accurate, but, <laughs> but uh, Lord knows. But uh, when you pass away, the donations of organs are, are made right away. Is that right? Um, that is that is correct. Most of the organ transplants are very time sensitive. Um, for example, a heart is only viable for a few hours outside of the human body to be transported and then transplanted into another individual. And so they are very time sensitive. And you know, we work with all of the transplant centers, you know, in, in our area specifically, but four major ones that we work with the most down in Denver. Um, as far as getting the transplants to and from those centers. Most people in Wyoming, if they're up for transplant or on the list, they do get listed at those centers locally down in Denver. Uh, of course, you know, depending on the condition, you might be listed somewhere else as, where, as well. Excuse me. But those organs, because they are, you know, that viability is so time sensitive, it does happen right away. It's a very dynamic, evolving process. And so really blessed to work for this uh, company, this nonprofit, and, and really blessed to work with our donor families who, you know, support their loved one's decision and give that gift of life. And I think we've all seen the TV shows where somebody needs, say, a liver, and, and they're just sitting there waiting, and, and they're, they're in the verge of, or on the verge of dying, and then all of a sudden they get a notice, hey, a liver's available, and maybe their life is, is saved right away. That's a pretty moving moment, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, every recipient that I have met in my time, every breath they take, every step, every day, everything they do, they do in honor of the individual that said yes to donation and then gave them the gift of life. And, and it really does give them a second chance at their life. And they do their best every day to honor that gift. It's, it's quite a moment and, and some of the most beautiful stories that you can imagine I've heard from recipients. Ryan, why, why did you personally get involved in this? I personally got involved because I myself come from a donor family. Mm -hmm. So my brother-in-law passed away and was able to donate tissue. And so that really, you know, it spurred that calling in me to, you know, check out this company that, that their goal is to honor the gift of life. And it's just been a really amazing journey. And, and a lot of the people in our community are brought to us through that connection but we have many more who just, their only connection is they said yes when they got their driver's license. They believe in helping other people. And so it's just such a positive environment and a way for people's legacies to live on through their donation. And I just really encourage people, if you have questions, please go to our website, check out the facts that are there. Of course, they can connect with us via our Facebook page where real life people will respond to their questions and help them understand. Uh, donation so they can make an informed decision. Ryo, we're about out of time. Is there anything you haven't talked about that you'd like to mention or anything you'd like to especially emphasize? Um, yes, absolutely. Real quick, I would love to encourage Wyomingites. Right now in our region, we have about 2,000 people on that wait list. And so this month for Donate Life Month, we're asking people to show their heart. So show your heart by going to donatelifewyoming.org slash show your heart, upload a photo, a selfie, a picture of your pet, 
just upload a photo, put that donation heart symbol on it. And our goal here is we're trying to get 2,000 photo submissions to represent those individuals that are waiting for a life-saving organ transplant. So I just encourage people, it's all over our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check that out, participate, upload your photo, and then share on social as well to let your networks know that you support Donation2. Okay, I'd like to thank my guest on this segment. I've been speaking with Raya O'Neill from the Donor Alliance. Thank you for calling in this morning. We appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me, and happy National Donate Life Month. You're listening to Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM 650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne, a town square media station. The Army National Guard is committed to keeping the country safe and our communities secure. Composed of hundreds of thousands of citizen soldiers from all walks of life and in every corner of America, the Guard is always ready to respond to local or national emergencies. The Army National Guard reacts to domestic operations in each of America's 54 states and territories, including Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, Guam, and the District of Columbia. Each state National Guard's unique domestic role is to act as the first line of defense in support of civil authorities in their state. The Guard's emergency responses include search and rescue missions for floods, combating wildfires, hurricane or tornado recovery, and the presidential inauguration. The Army National Guard. We are always ready. We are always there. And in every state and territory, we stand guard for our communities. To learn more, log on to NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Wyoming Army National Guard. Aired by the Wyoming Association of Broadcasters at this station. Dear Vet Ticks, Thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, Vetix. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert game or a special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran. Give your extra tickets to Vetix. Give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to vettix.org. We're all part of your community. We all play a role in keeping our community safe. So protect your every day. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. Just in front of 12 noon, you're in tune with AM650 KGAB Cheyenne Orchard Valley. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. We'll have more just ahead. The Duke of Edinburgh laid to rest. I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News. Honored for courage, fortitude, and faith, the funeral of Britain's Prince Philip at St. George's Chapel in Windsor. Fox's Phil Keating has more from London. The Union Jack still flying at half-mast uh, over the palace. Some flowers being laid. The, the royal said, do not do that, but there's too much love out there. To the funeral itself, we've been talking to a lot of people over the past week, people who knew Prince Philip well, met him a few times, and just liked him, and I think this funeral would match their expectations, maybe match the expectations of the prince. It's no frills. It was no nonsense, meticulously planned, in part, again, due to those COVID-19 restrictions. Prince Philip was 99 years old. 
Protests in several U.S. cities overnight over the latest police shootings. About 100 people were arrested in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, over the fatal police shooting of 20-year-old Dante Wright. In Chicago, there were at least two arrests. More than 1,000 protesters gathered in Chicago, that turning violent towards the end of that protest. This after police body cam footage of 13-year-old Adam Toledo getting shot in March arose. Toledo was carrying a gun running from police in a dark alley. It was at the moment that he tossed the gun in turn that he was shot and killed. Fox's Steve Harrigan. The White House is expected to set a final refugee cap number within a month after President Biden reversed his decision to keep the Trump era cap of 15,000 in place for now. He received a lot of pushback from people even inside the Democratic Party, specifically those closely aligned uh, with him, like Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, who said in a statement, these refugees can wait years for their chance and go through extensive vetting. 35,000 are ready. Fox's David Spunt. America is listening to Fox News. Hey, it's Brett Larson, inviting you to download and listen to the new daily Fox on Tech podcast. There's part of a colorful late 90s iMac on Mars. It's an idea that seems a lot like Kickstarter called Build It. This isn't the first time we've heard about North Korea hackers trying to get a leg up on COVID-19, a range that was used for satellite TV service in the 70s. Get the latest trends in technology, cybersecurity alerts, and gadget news daily. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect to Fox News Audio on the Fox News app. Listen to hear your favorite hosts like Brian Kilmeade, Jimmy Fallon, and Guy Benson standing up for what's right live and via podcast. Just click listen, then swipe right and hear the latest news updates on your time. And scroll down to hear the latest podcasts from Fox News. And it's even easier to listen in the car with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Get programming alerts and notifications. Fox News Audio is on the Fox News app. The Voices America Trusts. Download it now. Closing arguments are set for Monday in the Derek Chauvin murder trial. Witness testimony and evidence wrapped in the murder trial of former officer Derek Chauvin with closing arguments set for 9 a.m. on Monday. All without the jury hearing from the defendant who before the defense rested Thursday told the judge. I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today. It followed 14 days of testimony with the state trying to prove that an overuse of force killed George Floyd with the defense trying to poke holes in that charge that it was Floyd. Floyd's bad heart, blocked arteries, meth, and fentanyl in his system that it says led Floyd's heart to stop. Chauvin facing both murder and manslaughter charges and has pled not guilty. Jeff Manasso. Fox News. A settlement has been announced between a major insurance company and the Boy Scouts of America. Hartford Financial Services will pay $650 million. In exchange, the Boy Scouts and its local councils will release Hartford from any obligation under policies the company issued. The BSA says the money will be used to compensate survivors of sexual abuse. The Boy Scouts filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy following a flood of child sexual abuse accusations going back decades. Insurer Chubb Limited is also facing potentially massive liabilities stemming from the BSA's bankruptcy. Tom Rigotti, 
Fox News. After six months at the International Space Station, an American astronaut and two Russians are back home after landing today in Kazakhstan. NASA will be sending four other astronauts to the space station next week. Astronaut Megan MacArthur. I know we're all very excited uh, to be a part of it now, and it's neat that there is, you know, amongst these four crew members, um, the experience from, from three different vehicles, and we're really fortunate to get to draw on all of that uh, for this upcoming mission. The astronauts will replace the current space station crew and will spring funds since 1967 on AM650 KGAB. Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Bob Ruart Motors. The easiest purchase you'll ever make. All roads lead to BobRuartMotors.com. Staying chilly this Saturday as temps just in the 30s and near 40 degrees. Some mid and high level cloudiness, breezy northwest winds, low 20s overnight. Sunshine and milder for your Sunday. High temperatures near 50 degrees. Another cold front, though, moves in Sunday night. Monday's highs back to near 30. Light snow, small accumulations. I'm meteorologist Mark Hewer. I'm speaking with uh, Stephen Brinkley, the, um, oh, no, I forgot your title, Public Information Coordinator, I believe, for the Veterans Help Foundation. Did I get your title right? Close enough. Okay. <laughs> now, now, Stephen, first of all, you have a couple of events going on, and in fact, when this airs on Saturday, I believe one of them will be underway already. Is that right? Right. So we were, we were asked by Scott Harbel to attend with the Marine League. Uh, the Old West Gun Show and uh, Antique Show. Uh, so that's at the Archer Complex. It'll be uh, on. It'll be Friday noon to five, Saturday nine to five, and Sunday nine to two. Uh, our Marine buddies are giving away a shotgun. Our organization is uh, doing a turkey turkey. Uh, uh, package, turkey hunting package, and we're also giving away some ammo. Is there an admission fee to get in? There is not. Yeah, and and where is that again? It's at the uh, the new Archer Complex. So as people are hearing this on Saturday, that's going on right now. You can go out there and check it out. Yes, sir. Okay, now you also had another event, I believe. Is that right? Coming up? Yep, on June 12th in, in Greeley, but it'll be spread out between Greeley and Cheyenne with the poker run locations. Uh, the uh, Desert Knights of America Motorcycle Club, the Northern Colorado Southeast Wyoming Chapter, uh, may, uh, they, they selected from, or they voted on three different organizations to be the uh, receipt of proceeds for their poker run this year and we were selected uh, one we'd like to give a very large thank you to the desert knights uh, for selecting us and two if you're into uh, you ride a bike and you want to do a early summer poker run it's going to be uh, twenty dollars for the driver It'll be uh, $10 for a passenger. It'll be, and then they're offering uh, one additional hand to both the, uh, both the driver and the passenger. So for $40, you could get 
two hands of poker with uh, the possibility of winning some pretty cool prizes. Uh, just a few that they have already given me some insight on is uh, they've got a couple of, uh, of handguns they're giving away. They've got some uh, some televisions and and they they've told me they've got a lot to give away. Now, where can people get tickets for this? Um, they would probably want to contact the Desert Knights of, of America Motorcycle Club uh, through, uh, the best route is probably going to be through Facebook. The flyer, which I actually have, hang on just a second. Um, let, me, let me look at the flyer real quick. Sure, go ahead. So it says uh, registration will actually be at the Greeley Harley Davidson. That's at 3010 West 29th Street in Greeley. Uh, 9 a.m. is going to be the first bike out. Oh, I'm sorry. 9 a.m. is going to be the registration time. Uh, 10 a.m. will be the first bike out. Now, do, do people buy tickets in advance, or do you just buy them? Uh, I guess you could buy them in advance, because you said contact the Facebook site. Is that right? Yeah, I would I would contact the Desert Knights of America uh, to find out if you can pre-register or uh, purchase tickets in advance. Okay, now, this is all going for the Veterans Help Foundation. For those who don't know, what is the Veterans Help Foundation? So, Veterans Help Foundation, we're a group of veterans who just want to give back to our brothers and sisters suffering from with similar issues that we're suffering with get them into the great outdoors of wyoming uh through outdoor adventures like hiking and camping and fishing and hunting um we are registered with the state to do the donated tag program um so if somebody you know, has uh, already put in for tags and they find out that, you know, their job's pulling them away from being able to hunt that tag, they can donate it to us and we can put a disabled veteran on that hunting tag this fall. Um, we're going to be setting up uh, a couple of hikes this summer. Um, and we also are in the pre-stages of setting up a seven veteran fishing trip over to the west side of the state to achieve the uh, the very rare cutthroat slam. Mm. Is that a Flaming Gorge by chance? Uh, yep, that's the area we're going to be heading. I used to live out there. Now, you mentioned the, uh, the challenges faced by veterans and some of the issues that uh, veterans have to deal with. What, what are some of those challenges and issues? Well, I think the biggest one is, and a lot of people know about, is the post- traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. um, or PTSD. Um, you know, one, one of the things that when people look at veterans that they get confused with is not everybody has a missing limb. Not everybody has a huge scar on their head or on their, or, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the injuries that, that veterans have, uh, received are, are mental and internal um, and uh, for 
anyone listening to this that doesn't understand what PTSD can do, it'll it'll lock you into a shell. It'll it'll lock you into a shell where um, you just you don't you don't want to do anything. You don't want to interact with people. It to include loved ones, um, and and that's bad. Uh, that that can lead to some devastating situations. Prior to COVID, everybody knew the 22 a day uh, motto. But what a lot of people don't understand now is veterans suicide rate is actually sitting between, 20, depending on which site you look at, it's sitting between 24 and 28 veterans a day now. Wow. Uh, and it's not being talked about. And so, you know, and, and then there's TBI, which is traumatic brain, uh, traumatic brain injury. There's anxiety issues that can cause veterans to, to have issues. And then there's just pure pain. Um, they don't, they don't want to be a pill popper. And so they, they deal with their, their uh, muscular and, and physical uh, issues that happen from the military and and it and it gets to the point where they just can't take it anymore and instead of going to the VA or going to their doctor if they go out in town and ask for pain pills they just get rid of the pain themselves and and unfortunately that's usually through suicide do veterans tend to have a high substance abuse rate we do um and that goes back to being active duty when you get injured they hand you what we call vitamin m which is 800 milligram by uh, ibuprofen mm -hmm. if that doesn't work they start handing you uh oxycodone hydrocodone morphine i mean they'll they'll hand you anything to keep you in the bot in, in the battle Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Stephen Brinkley with the Veterans Help Foundation. We've been speaking about some events they have coming up and a little bit specifically about the challenges facing veterans. Uh, Stephen, referring back to PTSD, is that treatable? It can be. There's, uh, there, are some, uh, there are some treatments out there that can work for veterans. Uh, one in particular that a lot of people have, have heard recently about is called EMDR. Uh, what that does is you essentially get hypnotized and you're asked to recreate the memories that have been haunting you in your sleep, have been uh, haunting you even during the day sometimes. Um, it works for some, it doesn't work for all. Um, outside of that, there are some other things that I, I don't have a, a large knowledge on. I'm, I'm not a, I want everybody to know I am not a, you know, a social worker or a, uh, or a psychologist, psychiatrist, mm -hmm. uh, a veteran who deals with his own PTSD issues. And, uh, and I have, I do treatment myself. And so my treatment is I meet with a counselor every every other week and I get to vent what's been 
bothering me what's you know if i've had some rehashes of of memories and images and that works for me um there's also drugs there are uh antidepressants anti-anxiety pills but again that doesn't work for all It, it does work for some Stephen, I would assume a challenge here is too, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I would assume another challenge is that the larger society folks just don't understand because they weren't there. Is that, is that accurate? I would say that's 100% accurate. Um, only 3% of the United States actually serves in the United States military. Mm-hmm. So if, if we only have a 3% rate of individuals who serve outside of those who have parents that served or loved ones that served maybe a brother an uncle an aunt a sister um a lot of people just do not understand what we go through they don't understand when you've gone on four five six eight twelve fifteen deployments or missions what that does not only physically but mentally and we're doing it to save our country or protect our country and to protect the the amendments that are in our constitution. So when we're talking about these uh, challenges, are we mostly talking about combat veterans or just people that have been in the military at all? You know, there's a lot of a lot of people will tell you the only true injured veteran is ones that have been to combat. Mm-hmm. I, I disagree with that. Um, and the reason I disagree with that is our training that we get in, put into to prepare us for going to combat, prepare us for going on these deployments and these missions are just as intense as actually being there. So if a individual was injured in a training environment and suffered from PTSD because of that or suffered from TBI because of that, it's just as severe as actually being in that, in that uh, environment, in the, in the war or combat environment. So as a society, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I'm, I'm good. So as a society, is, is there anything we can do to address this problem? I mean, what, what, what can we do about it, if anything? Well, what, the first thing I would say is, you know, if you see somebody, especially a veteran in need, ask them if they need help. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. The first answer they're probably going to tell you is no. Um, but if you get to know the person, take them out for a cup of coffee, you, you may walk away in tears because a simple cup of coffee from a stranger can go a long, long way for a veteran. A lot of times people want to say things like, thank you for your service. Is that something veterans appreciate or would they rather not have the attention? There's, there's two parts to that answer. 
you've got our Vietnam brothers and sisters who were spit on, slapped, punched, stabbed sometimes when they came home from that war. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you. You tell a you tell a Vietnam vet, thank you for your service. You might you you may end up picking your teeth up off the floor. Okay. Because they are still very very upset with how they got how they were treated when they returned to the country that should have been there to support them. Right. They were they were given orders by the United States president to do this. And whether you agreed with it or you disagreed with it, when we raise our right hand, we do solemnly swear to uphold not only the Constitution, but the orders that were given to us by the president and those who oversee us. So if we want to disrespect that order and get uh, get discharged uh, dishonorably, okay. But we all understand when we raise our right hand, whether it's once, twice, three times, however many times the veterans done it in their initial enlistment and all the other re-enlistments that they did, we understand what we're raising our right hand for. So to circle back to your, uh, your original question of when people say thank you for your service, Some of us appreciate it, some of us don't. Some of us would just prefer a handshake and a thank you, and and others would just rather you keep your mouth shut. Okay. Again, it goes back to that 3% of those that serve that truly understand. Now, again, there's that window of, you had a brother who served, a sister who served, or maybe a parent, an uncle, an aunt, those people probably do understand to to a degree. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is, it's more of a what veteran appreciates it and doesn't appreciate it. So it almost sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it almost sounds like if you don't know the person, maybe don't go there. I wouldn't say that. Okay. Um, I would say talk to the person first and as and if you get a comfort level through your uh, two or three minute conversation as you're walking away put your hand out thank them and if you feel that the conversation went well and the veteran accepted the conversation well thank them for your sir thank them for their service and you may get a smile you may get a uh, you know, even a drop of the head with a thank you. Um, we're not opposed to it. Some of us are, but many of us aren't. But we'd rather you get to know us a little bit before you thank us for our service than just walk up and that's all you say. Okay, I can understand that. Now, Stephen, we also hear a lot about veteran homelessness. Is, is, that, is, is that really as big a problem as, as we're hearing about? And if so, why? It is. It's, it's actually a very, very big problem right now. I don't know the percentages of, of veterans' uh, homelessness, 
but what I can tell you is a lot of the vets that are homeless are because they came home, they lost their camaraderie, their brotherhood, probably got too far into the bottle, maybe even too far into into uh, prescription pills and went off the deep end. They were dealing with too many psychological issues, too many physical issues with pain, um, too many memories, and it led to a divorce. It led to a, uh, it, it, it just led to them ultimately becoming homeless. Um, so yeah, it, it's very, it, it is a it is a problem, um, and I honestly don't know what to do to fix it other than trying to be there and and help. You know that's that's the key to our organization is the word help. Uh, we want to help veterans. We want to, and again, right now the only thing we're doing, and that's just because we don't have the funds to do anything more, is those outdoor activities. We raised just enough funds to, to do that. But if we had an opportunity to maybe get a sponsor or maybe even a couple sponsors, that could go a long way for us helping veterans and giving them grants where they could, you know, get their, their power bill under control, get their, you know, their, their utilities under control or their, you know, maybe even catch up on a couple months of rent so that their landlord isn't going to try to kick them out and put them on the street. It sort of sounds like a lot of the homelessness is, is, a, is a byproduct of the other issues, the PTSD and some of the other issues. Would that be a fair statement? Yes, that is an absolutely fair statement. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Stephen Brinkley with the Veterans Help Foundation. You know, if somebody wanted to donate to your organization, if they wanted to sponsor, or maybe maybe they want to join, how can they contact you folks? Well, we actually, um, we're on three different social media networks. We're on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is Veterans Help Foundation Wyoming. We are on uh, Instagram. Uh, again, Veterans Health Foundation, Wyoming. We're also on LinkedIn, Veterans Health Foundation, Wyoming. Um, any one of those three avenues, you could reach out to us, send us a, uh, an instant message, and let us know that you'd like to help. Um, outside of that, on Facebook, we do try to do uh, raffles uh, where we're trying to raise, uh, raise funds. Uh, we go to different events throughout the community. Um, in fact, we're, like I said, we're at the Old West Gun Show um, where we're trying to raise, you know, awareness of what we're doing and also uh, trying to raise funds to cover the events that we're, that, or the adventures that we're trying to uh, allow the veterans that come to us and asking for these adventures to be possible. Stephen, circling back to something else we discussed because this just came to me, you mentioned how shamefully the Vietnam veterans were treated. And I've, I've spoken to some of those folks personally about their experience, and some of their experiences were horrendous. My question is, 
have veterans returning from other conflicts since then been treated better? Well, I can give you a personal experience. Okay. I returned from the longest deployment in naval history since World War II, and also, and it's now the longest deployment for a uh, nuclear aircraft carrier in 2003 on the USS Abraham Lincoln. Okay. We were greeted by many people who were appreciative. I mean, we even had a we even had a uh, um, not a march, but a uh, where you walk around the town and people are waving at you. Okay. But um, when I was driving home about two weeks after returning from that deployment, I had a, uh, a paint can thrown at my car and I was cussed at and screamed at because I was part of the deployment that did the initial launch on Iraq in March of 2003. And this individual saw the fact that I was in uniform and did not appreciate what I was had signed up to do. I don't often I don't often editorialize, but I find that disgraceful. I do. It, it was. I mean, it was hard to to take in, um, but it, it was one of those where you either create a a situation and you get your name in the paper or you drive away from it and you get to the nearest, uh, you know, you get to the nearest uh, car wash and hope that it comes off. Mm -hmm. I chose the second because I didn't want to cause an issue for myself. And, uh, you know, and, but I mean, that's, that's just one situation. I, I know many others, but I don't want to tell their stories because I don't know the entire story. AM 650 KGAB, it's 1231. If you're not sleeping well and have a heightened focus on improving your daily health and well-being, then visit, call, or chat online with Inamax, who's making this world better, one bed at a time. Inamax is Colorado's go-to sleep resource for revolutionary sleep innovation. It's been a year of challenge and change. Let my friends at Inamax demonstrate the advantage of high-performance, life-changing sleep systems. Let Inamax inspire you with exceptional choices in digital air temperature control, all-natural organic fluid support gel memory cell flex pod and zero gravity lifestyle power base support and massage your future rest is available today and Inamax awaits the opportunity to fulfill your desire for quality sleep solutions if you've been in search of a great customer experience and great values in exciting sleep innovation then it's time to visit a company that's passionate about the quality of your not forever this message sponsored by the Helmsley Charitable Trust aired with the Wyoming Association of Broadcasters and this station your day weather forecast is brought to you by Bob Ruart Motors. The easiest purchase you'll ever make. All roads lead to BobRuartMotors.com.
Staying chilly this Saturday as temps just in the 30s and near 40 degrees. Some mid and high level cloudiness, breezy northwest winds, low 20s overnight. Sunshine and milder for your Sunday. High temperatures near 50 degrees. Another cold front, though, moves in Sunday night. Monday's high is back to near 30. Light snow, small accumulations. I'm meteorologist Mark Hewer. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Um, yeah, I have questions. Prescription drugs aren't as bad as street drugs, right? Weed's legal, isn't it? Drinking is worse than smoking weed. Isn't it? Why is heroin so addictive? Molly just makes you feel happy. I have questions. Mom? Dad, did you ever try drugs? They're going to ask. Be ready. Go to drugfree.com. That's open to 39747. Let your voice be heard. Data and message rates apply. Hi everybody, I'm Jack Hanna. Since I was a boy, I've been fascinated with animals, especially their tireless work ethic. This work ethic is shared by our best friends, canines who perform life-saving work every day. So please join me and American Humane in supporting our heroic working dogs. Go to AmericanHumane.org to learn more. to Weekend in Wyoming. On this segment, I'm speaking with Tom Laycock, and let me see if I can get this title right, Associate Director for, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't get the rest of it. Associate State Director for State Advocacy and Communication. It's a mouthful. My what? wallet is very, very large due to a large uh, business card. And that's with the AARP, the American Association of Retired Persons. You got it. Okay, Tom, we had a, a number of things we wanted to talk about here this morning. First of all, uh, the recent legislative session, although we do think there's going to be a special session, they are wrapped up for now. Uh, just in general, looking at it from the viewpoint of the AARP, what did you think of the session? You know, the first thing I, I need to do is I really need to, to say thank you to our friends in the legislature because... Uh, we were we were remote. Our, our national office said, you know, there's, you don't you haven't been vaccinated yet. Uh, let's keep you out of the Capitol itself, and and that could have really resulted in in you know almost no representation of our group. But uh, you know, legislators were fantastic in in terms of checking email, in terms of you know checking uh, text, in terms of reaching out to us, and really allowing people that that weren't in the Capitol itself to be a part of the process. And for that reason, I, I really need to say thank you for, for what they did there. And in terms of what a, go ahead, go ahead. AARP uh, was able to accomplish this year, it was, it was a pretty successful session. Um, and uh, and that's, that's due in part to our members really reaching out and, and letting their, their representatives and senators kind of know what was important to them. Uh, perhaps the biggest, uh, you know, win that we were able to, to work with this year was was helping up with the continuation of the Wyoming Home Services Program, and and that's a that's a program that helps folks who are maybe in danger of uh, moving to a, a nursing home uh, be able to stay at home uh, a little bit longer by getting a little bit of help from you know from a CNA, a certified nursing assistant, um, someone maybe to come in and help with you know some chores, you know, maybe getting some trash out. You know, or someone helping, you know, coming in to help them with bathing or dressing or even a little bit of food preparation. It's, it's those folks that don't need that full-on level of nursing home care, mm -hmm. but really can't stay in the home on their own without a little bit of help. And, of course, it's always nice to be able to stay in familiar surroundings if you can do so. Um, also, it's probably more economical a lot of times. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Doug, and, and in a big way, it's more economical for the state. It's 
one of those things that this particular program is difficult to quantify um, only because the only way that you could say exactly how much money it saved is if you knew exactly the day that that person was going to go to the nursing home mm-hmm. um, without the without the home services. And so, uh, but we know, uh, you know, AARP did a, did a kind of a, a macro analysis of 38 different home services programs around the country and found that without a doubt, those are money savers to their, their local states. And so uh, in that way, we like to think it's, it's really win-win. You've got people aging in place where they want to, and, and the state's saving some money to boot. So, so all good things. Now, House Bill 75 was passed. That was a bill you originally had some concerns about, but you were able to work out an agreement with the uh, the primary sponsor. Is that right? That's correct. Like, you know, in, in previous years, we've opposed voter ID bills, and the only reason for that is because we know that, that one out of five people over the age of 65 in this country don't have a driver's license anymore. And, you, and, you know, you hear people say, you know, you need a driver's license to, to buy alcohol. You need a driver's license to, you know, to... Uh, get on an airplane, things along those lines. Well, there, there are a lot of people, you know, think, you know, specifically folks in nursing homes that don't really do a lot of that anymore. They're not buying guns anymore. They're not really buying booze anymore. Although if I get to a nursing home, um, you know, you'll, you'll help me out with that, right, Doug? <laughs> um, so, so, you know, uh, the last couple of years when a voter ID bill has, has come through that required a photo ID, you know, we, we struggled with that a little bit. Now, this, uh, this interim, we probably had, oh, I don't know, in conversations with the bill's chief sponsor, Chuck Gray, uh, and, and we really looked uh, to other states to figure out what they've done to address that issue. Uh, the National Council on State Legislatures has a fantastic website laying out every voter ID law uh, in the country, what they take, what they do, you know, what, what it requires, and things along those lines. And we were able to come up with uh, the Medicare card uh, as, as, an, as a suitable form of, of ID. That's something that everyone uh, receives about three months before your 65th birthday. Um, and so we think that that addresses that need for, for someone who may not have a driver's license. Um, by the same token, YDOT is, is working hard to let folks know that um, you know because of this bill, folks will need a photo ID by December 31st, 2029, which is when the Medicare card sunsets out. And I think it was... It was great. It was, it, was, it was a nice team effort. And I tell you what, if you if everything you know about Wyoming politics you get off of Facebook, you would never think that we could have come to an agreement because uh, that's, that's just not what social media teaches us. But, but really, everyone came to the, came to the table uh, with, with a, a, you know, a goal in mind, and, and I think we got there. Well, and I believe they also, and I, I realize this doesn't specifically pertain to retired folks, but they also added a Medicaid card, too, as an idea, I believe. Yeah, that, you know, and the person who testified on behalf of that was uh, Julie Tucker here in Cheyenne, who pointed out that, um, you know, uh, we have a, another medical provider who um, volunteers with AARP Wyoming, and she had pointed out to us kind of a gap in there, that there are some folks for, you know, whom um, are in that Medicaid area that are, aren't 65 and over, aren't on disability, but may not have the ability to, to get a driver's license for, for whatever reason of their, their specific disability. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the great thing is, is Julie brought that up to the Senate uh, Elections and Corporations Committee, and everyone kind of went, yeah, I can see that. I could, I could see where that would be an issue. They moved it in, and I don't think we diluted the bill, uh, you know, to any extent there either. So it's, I very much appreciate everyone being willing to at least 
be open-minded in that conversation. Tom, looking at the long term, because as, as you did mention, the uh, the Medicaid and the Medicare ID do uh, sunset at the, at the end of this decade. What will be some options for people at that point to to get ID to vote? You know, a, a couple of different things are going to happen. Uh, first of all, right now the state does provide for a state ID card. That's not a driver's license. And, you know, what we find happens in a lot of cases is folks who have a driver's license, who've had a driver's license for, you know, 50, 60 years, when they decide it's time to hang up the keys, they just put the driver's license in a door, in, a, in the drawer. Um, you know, don't really think anything of it. Um, if you if you go to a YDOT station and, and tell them that you're relinquishing your driver's license and you'd like a state ID card, they'll, they'll get you one. Um, and uh, the folks at YDOT, uh, you know, they do send a renewal through the mail. I got mine a couple weeks ago. And I think there is going to be an effort underway to see when appropriate uh, and when possible, you know, can you relinquish your driver's license through the mail and, and get an ID card. I think that's uh, part of a conversation that's happening. We'll see what happens a little bit down the road. But, um, you know, Ms. D. Dobson and, and her group at Whiteout have been fantastic to work with uh, because they certainly, you know, they have, they have concerns, uh, you, know, only, you know, their concern is just making sure folks understand the process. And uh, I think they're putting a plan in place to make sure that happens. Now, another bill you were watching closely, according to the notes you gave me, House Bill 7, Air Ambulance, which now has disclaimers for those who sell Air Ambulance membership. What's, what's the backstory on that? I'm not sure everybody's up on this. Sure. So a couple of years ago, I think it was in the 2019 legislative session, there was a, a movement afoot to, to regulate Air Ambulance memberships. And there's a bunch of different types of Air Ambulance memberships and and, uh, you know, in, in some cases, these are uh, memberships that, uh, that folks, you know, use. You know, you think of, of the accident along the side of the road and the helicopter coming to get you. And that certainly is one application for it. However, we find that actually most of the, these flights are fixed-wing flights uh, from one hospital to another hospital. In other words, uh, from WMC in Casper down to a hospital in Denver. You know, it's on an airplane as opposed to a helicopter. And folks were buying memberships, um, and in, but in, in some cases, you know, maybe not quite understanding the full process in terms of just because you buy a membership with company one doesn't mean company two might not pick you up because they're closer mm -hmm. or more available, at which point your membership with company one really doesn't mean a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, you're still stuck with, with a fairly large bill. And so what had happened was... Um, the legislature put put some regulation in place in 2019. Maybe in, in the, the sort of tenor that I've heard from from legislators this year was maybe that legis that legislation was a little bit too restrictive. Um, and so what they tried doing this year, and this is a, a term that we heard a lot, was was trying to run it through sort of regulation light. So can we pull back on some of the regulations, some of the requirements, so that air ambulance memberships can be sold in areas uh, where people really find them beneficial. Um, you know, Fremont County, for instance, and in Washington County, for instance, are, uh, are, are counties that absolutely love their, their air ambulance service. And so let's make sure that they can still uh, purchase that. So that bill has, has moved through. One thing that as, as it moved through that we asked to be put into the regulation is, is two disclaimers. And the first one is just just what we talked about a minute ago, just to let folks know that just because you have a membership with one company doesn't mean that that company will pick you up. Um, 
and you you may be on the hook for for a large bill. Understand that going in. The other piece of it had to do with the fact that Medicare actually covers ambulance rides at 80%. Okay. And if you have a Part B supplement, that Part B supplement will pick up some some amount of the rest of that 20% remainder. And that's not something that, that, you know, in in some cases, uh, you know, some of the the better actors uh, in this space will tell you up front and on their website. In other cases, you know, we've seen some uh, some more high-pressure sales tactics that have been used, and, and the fact that Medicare already has some coverage was, was never mentioned. So we just think an informed consumer probably makes better decisions, and it's not that we don't think people don't uh, can't use an, an air ambulance membership. We just want to make sure they understand it's right for them at the time of purchase. I think the situation, too, brings up something people should be aware of with the Wyoming legislature. They do this a lot. A lot of times they'll pass a bill, and they get out there in the real world, and they find, well, there's this this issue or that issue. They're not averse to going back and changing the law. Absolutely. And, and you know, we'll give we'll certainly give credit to to the legislature uh, for doing that in this instance and, and saying, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we went a little bit far, and let's see if we can, see if we can find a happy medium. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Tom Laycock with the AARP Wyoming. We're talking about the legislative session. Now, there were a trio of high-speed Internet bills you folks were following closely. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that, uh, that COVID has taught us is that, uh, uh, you know, we use the Internet for a lot of things. And uh, everything from, uh, you know, getting groceries to, to making sure that we're, we're still having some sort of semblance of a social life with some social interaction. Um, and there were, there were three bills that actually came through that in hopes of, of increasing uh, broadband availability and, and speed in the state. Uh, the first one was, was Senate File 76 that really works to make the state's broadband enhancement program more user-friendly. Uh, when the original legislation for the broadband enhancement program came out, it, it's somewhat restrictive. Um, and and so this 76 really kind of loosened it up a little bit and uh, allowed eligibility of some different projects than, than maybe there had been in the past too. So. Um, hopefully that gets some some more uh, projects rolling through that particular program. Um, House Bill 14 was created to to help uh, with the faster approval time for broadband projects through local government permitting process. Because you know that's the one thing is is you know we as we all know here there is a, a very short construction season in Wyoming versus a lot of other states around us, um, and so this just helps uh, helps that fiber get into the right of way uh, in in those projects to get uh, approved a little bit quicker. And then the last one was, was HB 197, which is the Connects program, uh, Connect Wyoming program. And, and really what that does is, is the Connect Wyoming program was the vehicle that the, uh, the governor's office uh, funded uh, about 37 projects through the state last year of CARES Act dollars, turning that into high-speed internet projects around the state. Um, and so it's one of those things uh, where it's, there was a little bit of money left over because originally there was a deadline of December 30th of last year. This extends the deadline to spend some of that unspent money, but it also sets up the state to be able to use the same process to use American Rescue Plan funds to, uh, 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 for uh, uh, Internet projects moving forward, too. And so those, those are some good things. You know, as, as we hear some, some stories around the state, in terms of uh, you know where some of our 
our underserved and unserved areas are, um, you know, these projects really go directly to uh, to those areas in hopes of bringing them, you know, kind of up to speed a little bit, quite literally. Tom, Medicaid expansion was something you folks were watching. It actually got further this session than ever before. It didn't quite make it through. It did pass uh, the Wyoming House for the first time. Uh, didn't make it all the way through, though. What are your thoughts on that, Bill? It was. I thought it was fascinating to see the changes in, in legislators who have been against it for a number of years, and and to see that those changes come through on the other side. You know, you're always interested to hear uh, the debate on the floor itself, and so I think you know personally, I was hoping that it was the debate would have moved to the Senate floor just to hear, uh, you know, kind of what folks were thinking on that on that side of it as well. Um, I, you know, you have to think it's coming back. You have to think if, if that this year, because of the financial uh, incentives from the federal government, you know, you kind of thought this might have been the year that it would happen. So it, it was uh, it was fascinating to watch. Well, I'm sure we'll see it come back again next year. And uh, you know, for for AARP, it's a it's something that we do support because of the fact that you know we found out one third of the folks who would be newly eligible for the Medicaid program would be between the ages of 50 and 64, which, you know, kind of signals a very, uh, a very large group of, of working poor between, between those ages. And that has ramifications a little bit further down the road because, you know, those are folks who are more likely to use uh, state social uh, safety net services, you know, such as uh, long-term care uh, funding a little bit, a little bit further down the road. So getting them healthy using uh, Medicaid funding, uh, it, it may be a benefit to the state uh, a little further down the road. We'll see. One change I did hear on this issue this session, and I've, I've followed this for years, of course, as you know, it's been a recurrent issue in the legislature. But I did hear several lawmakers make the comment along the lines of, you know, I'm not crazy about this, but nobody has a better idea. And that did pick up some support this year from some people who didn't support it in the past. So you might think maybe this is building towards uh, towards a different resolution at some point. I think you're right on, Doug. I, th I think the that sort of pointed question of, okay, what's your idea, uh, seemed to gain a little bit of traction with folks. And, and I don't know what the next steps are, um, but uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be great to watch. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Tom Laycock with Wyoming AARP. We're talking about the recently concluded legislative session. You folks were also following uh, the mental health and substance use parity bill for phone and video telehealth. I think for a lot of people who didn't follow the legislature closely, this kind of flew under the radar a little bit. So tell us about it. A little bit. So this bill, uh, basically, you know, it, it, it asks those who are uh, mental health and substance use counselors to provide their services through uh, through telehealth as well as telephone and, and doesn't let them get paid less for it. Now, AARPR, our interest was in the availability of services um, through telehealth, but especially through telephone. So we did a, a study last year where a survey last year where we, we called a bunch of folks uh, age 45 and over. And, and this is the beautiful thing about AARP is we have a deep bench. We have a, a PhD level statistician um, who did the study for us. and. And we found that about 75% uh, of folks uh, age 45 and over either were using telehealth or wanted to use telehealth in, in the state of Wyoming. 
Um, and so this offers a little bit of, of, you know, it opens up some more access to care if you're in a smaller community and there's only one provider um, and you, you can get into another provider somewhere else quicker. You know, this, this opens that up for you a little bit. But the other piece of it too, is we have that 25% of people that said they hadn't done a telehealth visit yet and had no interest in doing so because they just, you know, they didn't want to learn something on the computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe they did feel like they had fast enough internet speed. And, and, you know, several different situations, everyone's a little bit different. But this bill does allow for people to get in and use the telephone for some of those services too. And, and that's a great thing in terms of opening up substance and, and especially mental health um, services because one thing that I'm not sure people realize, but our suicide rates in this state skyrocket after age 75. And we have one so, of the one of the highest rates anyway, first or second usually. That's right. And so anything we can do to help folks out uh, to get a little bit of help or encourage them to get a little bit of help, uh, you know, certainly seems as, as though it's a positive thing. Well, in a state like Wyoming where it's it's so rural, a lot of people don't necessarily have a clinic just down the street where they can go get help. This makes it more accessible. Absolutely. And then you also have, um, you know, the fact that we, we heard in testimony a little bit that there is still a stigma in some areas. Yes, there is. And so, if, and so if you have your car parked in front of the counselor's office, okay, well, you know, what's Jim doing there today? You know, what's his problem? This, this alleviates some of that concern. And and what, you know, we have to give a lot of credit to uh, Representative Sue Wilson for, for bringing this bill and, and having this conversation. From right here in Laramie County. Correct. Okay, now, uh, we did have some other scams we wanted to talk about. Before, before we get into that, I think you wanted to mention something about services for veterans. Is that right? Yeah, so AERP uh, has a, we, we've got a large uh, veterans, militaries, and family outreach. And a big part of that is the fact that we have 4 million members nationwide who have served our country. And so we, we really work hard to offer kind of one-stop shop uh, for free resources, important information, things along those those lines. And, and you know, if, if you're online, it's very easy to find. It's aarp.org backslash veterans. And, and we really do it in a, that information dissemination in, in a variety of different ways. Um, one thing that we do is, is we have a, a large caregiving military caregiving handbook because it is a little bit different um, for folks who, who have been through the military and have some, some of those services available to them. Um, but also our, our VA program, uh, our Fraud Watch uh, network really uh, works well uh, with, with our veterans program. Because uh, you know, people may not realize, but, but veterans and military families are actually twice as likely as civilians to be targeted by con artists. Um, and so for us, it's a matter of making sure those folks are aware of scams in their area and, uh, and understand what to happen if they, what happens if they do feel like they've, they've been the victim of, of fraud. And so for that, you know, we can, uh, just Google our AARP fraud watch network. Um, it's free. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be 50 and over. You don't have to be a veteran. It's just anyone who wants to keep themselves maybe one step ahead of the scammers. Um, you'll get twice a week uh, watchdog alerts on the latest scams kind of in your area, tip sheets, and uh, a toll-free access number for people um, who feel like they have been scammed. And we'll set you up with a trained uh, fraud fighter, someone who can help you kind of get back on your feet if you feel like you've been scammed. So it's uh, just wanted to, to kind of throw that out there. Make sure you're checking up on our Facebook uh, at AARPYME because we put out a ton of uh, veterans' information uh, specifically 
just getting ready to post one right now about uh, the veteran struggle uh, to get copies of needed service records during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, there was such a backlog and uh, so many requests that, uh, you know, you, you saw a backlog of what they figured to be about two years. Um, but now we're seeing quite a bit of movement on that. And so um, it, it's, it's some fascinating stuff. And, and we really try to get veterans, you know, the information they need as quick as they need. Once again, um, you know, that AARP.org backslash veterans uh, website is, is free. Take your time and, and check it out if you've got an interest. Okay, we're down to just uh, just two to three minutes here. Um... And actually, that's about going to do it for this segment. Thank you for joining us. We'd like to thank uh, Tom Laycock with the AARP for calling in. Of course, uh, we'll do Weekend in Wyoming again next week right here from 11 to 1 on AM 650 KGAB. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Enjoy the nicer weather. More winter weather headed our way Monday and Tuesday. 1 o'clock, AM 650, KGAB, Cheyenne, Orchard Valley. Thank you for joining. A final farewell to a royal prince. I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News. Britain's Queen Elizabeth and her family saying goodbye to Prince Philip. His funeral held at St. George's Chapel. In a chapel behind the walls of Windsor Castle, Prince Philip was laid to rest. We have been inspired by his unwavering loyalty to our Queen. The Dean of Windsor, David Connor, spoke of Philip's courage, fortitude and faith. The ceremony was pared back for coronavirus restrictions. There were references to Philip's military service, but no family eulogies in keeping with royal tradition. At the end of the service, an army bagpiper played as Philip's coffin was lowered into the royal vault. Fox's Simon Owen. Sparring between Democrats and Republicans continues over a Democratic plan to expand the number of Supreme Court justices from 9 to 13. Republican Tennessee Senator Marcia Blackburn. They are taking this opportunity to talk about adding two new states, about packing the court, removing the electoral college, federalizing elections, all these leftist progressive policies. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she has no immediate plans to bring the proposal to the floor. Johns Hopkins University saying the global death toll from COVID-19 has topped 3 million. The milestone amid repeated setbacks in the worldwide vaccination campaign and a deepening crisis in countries like Brazil. Federal safety regulators are warning people with kids and pets to stop using a treadmill made by Peloton after one child died and nearly 40 others were injured. But a Peloton statement said the warning is inaccurate and misleading and there's no reason to stop using the treadmill. America is listening Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. What are the most important issues facing Americans today? Every Monday, join me, Brett Baer, Chief Political Anchor and Anchor and Executive Editor of Special Report, and my rotating all-star panel of experts as we discuss the policies, practices, and solutions to the biggest and most important issues of the day. You can hear new episodes every Monday. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
The Fox News Rundown is a weekday morning podcast that dives deep into the major and controversial stories of the day. Hosted by the anchors of Fox News Radio. Subscribe now to hear a perspective of news you won't find anywhere else. Listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A New Jersey man is hospitalized on a ventilator with COVID-19 after receiving a vaccine. The daughter of 52-year-old Francisco Cosme telling the New York Post her father's condition has worsened. Cosme got the virus despite getting the J&J shot five weeks ago. Michelle Torres saw her father briefly Friday in a FaceTime call but says he's unconscious. She says the doctors say right now it's still up to his body to keep going. The CDC has asked for a pause in giving out the J&J vaccine while they investigate cases of blood clots that may be linked to it. Kristen Mayo, Fox News. A federal court has rejected the case of one of Jeffrey Epstein's accusers. An appeals court ruling has rejected a challenge to a 2007 non-prosecution agreement once entered into by the late Jeffrey Epstein. The agreement not only shielded the serial sex abuser from further prosecution, it continues to shield his associates from criminal liability for aiding in past abuses. Courtney Wilde challenged the 2007 agreement and pushed to end immunity for Epstein's associates. Court papers state the financier began abusing Wilde when she was just 15 years old. Tom Graham, Fox News. It's the last day for this year's car seat trade-in promotion at Target stores. Each April, Target stores nationwide hold their annual car seat trade-in program, and today is the final day for this year's event. Customers can trade in their child's old car seat and get a 20% off coupon toward a new car seat. The deal is also good for other baby home gear like travel systems, strollers, play yards, high chairs, bouncers, swings, and rockers. Target will accept and recycle all types of car seats that are expired or damaged. The program started in April 2016, and Target says since then, the company has recycled more than 1.1 million car seats, which is about 17 million pounds of plastic. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. And I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News.